It's very, um, I'll take that time. I wish I was, it was maybe caught up in kids and family stuff also, <clears throat> and worshiping the Lord. Good to see everybody today. It is a good, beautiful winter day we're having this fall, and what lovely weather we have. I can't believe the snow stuck around. It was snowing yesterday. I was going to be gone by morning. I got all kinds of, I mean, I'm still working on summer stuff outside. And I got up this morning. I'm like, I think it's for real. Winter is actually here. And then I was in our office end of our house, which is kind of a hallway office combo deal, working on this, going over stuff for this morning. And I hear Christmas music from the kitchen. Like, I almost think I slept for a month and it's December 12th or 13th or whatever. So good morning. It is good to see everybody today. I want to take just a second and thank Jerry for the word that he brought the last couple of weeks, the clarity that he, let's give him a round of applause. Thank you so much. And if he was up here with a microphone, he would say it was not anything that I had. It was just the Holy Spirit tapped me and and we're grateful that he listened, that he brought that word. That was, it's been rolling around in my head for a few weeks now since he started uh, this concept of spending time on the other side of the veil. Thank you for painting such a clear picture of that for us, giving us access and images through Scripture to see what that looks like. I want to point out this morning that <clears throat> my teaching will not be exhaustive. I hear the everyone, aww. <laughs> it's not going to be, it could be exhausting, but it's not going to be exhaustive. I remind you of this so often because I don't want to limit any of your understanding of Scripture or of concepts to just what the guy behind the pulpit says. This isn't an exhaustive look at any of these passages or any of these even ideas. There's a lot of great teaching out there, but I would encourage you that the greatest teacher dwells on the inside of you. That The Word of God, when read by the Holy Spirit into your heart, and I'm, you, that's not, ooh, that sounds mystical. All I mean is, Ask the Lord to reveal stuff and open your, open your Bibles and you, he will reveal things. That's the greatest teacher out there. There's no person that's going to be a better teacher than that. And uh, something that I always like to remind us of also is no one hears the Holy Ghost for you better than you hear the Holy Ghost for you. There's a lot of religious leaders, a lot of Christian teachers that want to tell you that, well, I heard the word of the Lord for you. And I believe that the thing that I've got to share this morning, what Jerry shared last week, was a word in season for us. But the Holy Spirit on the inside of you personally will reveal to you from the Word of God, clearer and better than any of us from the pulpit can. Like I said, this teaching will not be exhaustive, but the the word that Jerry revealed to me over the last couple of weeks, I spent a lot of time thinking about Time behind the veil. And, and just about a veil. What's a, what does a veil represent? So there used to be, it wasn't really a veil, but it's in my head what that temple veil would have looked like. There used to, we used to have a big, very nice curtain that hung across the back of our worship area, separated basketballs from falling in here and whatnot. It was a stage curtain from the old Pettisville High School. And it was in rough shape by the time it finally gave up the ghost literally, metaphorically, the whole thing. It was getting rough. But when we first put it up years and years ago, it, did, it, provided, uh, it provided protection. It, it veiled this side from that side. Now, what was that? It's just a barrier. You think about, when I, you know, you think of if I just had, if we did the whiteboard and like just a word, everybody shout out what you think of when we, you hear the word veil, somebody would say a wedding veil. 
And the wedding veil covers the face of the bride, so it's not what? Revealed. What's on one side of the veil is not visible to the other side. So it's, it's a simple, clear picture of separation between. It's just a separate, it's, it, and you might be like, okay, where we, well, I just want to, let's, we're going to develop this, we're going to flesh this out a little bit. Jerry looked the last couple weeks at spending time on the other side of the veil. We're going to go back a little bit before, and I want to I share with us, with all of us, what the Holy Spirit revealed to me. This time spent on the other side of the veil is what was lost in the garden. The intimacy with the Father, the confidence humanity possessed in their relationship with their Creator vanished in a moment when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they gained awareness of evil, their confidence before the Father vanished. If you got your Bibles, you want to turn Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Well, this, this is the whole Genesis 3, we see the temptation and the fall of man. You see, well, but we'll pick up in uh, verse 4, we see the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like the Most High God, knowing good and evil. This is just a side, and I'm not going to park here, I promise. Verse 5 we see, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like the Most High, or like God. In the New King James it says, like God, like the Most High God. What's the fall of Satan? What, I just want to look at this. What is Satan's number one accusation? Or what is the word's accusation against Satan? He wanted to be like the Most High God. Satan desired to be like the Most High God. So he's pitching this to Eve. I'm not, we're not gonna, this isn't about the fall of man. I just see that and I'm like, that, there is a connection here that he's pitching to her. Well, you can be like the Most High God. She was created in the image of God. Adam and Eve were created already. How cool is that? Satan's presenting. You can be like God. Newsflash, Satan. They're already like God. They were created in the image of God. I'm not getting sacrilegious. They weren't God, but they were created in the likeness and the image of the Most High God. Satan's like, well, you can have this. They already had it. A side note. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. In that moment, in that instant, there's, it's just, this is, there's a lot here, but it is very simple. They had, one, they had relationship. They had confidence. Before, be, between them and God, they had confidence. In the moment they ate of it, they realized they needed a barrier between them and God. They knew, they knew it right away they needed it. So the very first atonement that we see in Scripture is fig leaves. Something to cover over. All the word, and this is, I'm skipping ahead in my notes here, but all the word atonement means is to cover over. It's a covering over. They're like, 
we need something covered. In that instant, it was revealed to them, we can no longer be on the other side of this cover. We need a barrier between us and God. Now, obviously, man's best attempt at a barrier in the Garden of Eden was fig leaves, which in about a half an hour, they start to dry out and they fall apart and the covering is no longer working. So we see, I'm skipping all over my notes. I'm sorry, church. Verse 8, we see that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we see the first effective atonement. Verse 21 reads, And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. How do you think God made tunics of skin? The Bible reveals in Hebrews, which we've looked at a lot at Hebrews the last couple of weeks, and we're going to look at a lot at Hebrews this morning. Hebrews talks about without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is nothing to cover over. There is no, all through the Old Testament we see atonement. The day of atonement was a bloody day in the, under the Old Covenant. That day, and in the, in the, the saddest thing, you look at all the blood shed on the day of atonement, and all it did was cover over sin. It didn't take anything away. The word, it's, uh, in your Strong's Concordance, it's a Hebrew word, or number 3722. It's a verb pronounced something like kafar. It means to cover over. This is the word atonement. The idea of atonement is not a writing of all that is wrong. It is simply a temporary covering over. Does this make sense? Like nothing that was actually broken in the Garden of Eden was fixed through atonement. And this offends some people, but it's, this is the truth. Nothing was fixed. It was just covered up. And you know, we've, we've talked about like if you, you know, as a child, uh, sometimes we spill things and we're not real capable of cleanup as a child. And so a lot of times we would, our knee jerk was, could we just cover it up? And then some time would pass and mom and dad wouldn't be able to identify which of us caused it. Let's just cover it up. This is the, this is the idea of atonement. And it's, it's just a temporary covering, which actually the fig leaves present that clearly to us. That's the best we got is a temporary covering. It's going to break down. It's going to fall apart. It ain't going to work long. Adam and, Adam and Eve in the garden were in need of a covering. From the very first atonement in the Garden of Eden for all eternity, the very first atonement that God provided for the rest of eternity, for the rest of eternity, blood shed is a requirement between God and man. Before Adam and Eve had the knowledge of evil, before that, there was no blood shed. They were in relationship. They fellowshiped. They experienced the cool of the day. They walked together with nothing between them. You know, we, it get, you know it's, oh, they were naked in the garden. It wasn't, there was not no, any understanding or concept of nakedness. It was just, there was no barrier. The picture that that paints for us is that there was no layers of separation. See, I've got a few layers of separation between my earthly body and everyone else. Thank you, Jesus. 
There was no separate, there was no need for layers of, these, now these keep us warm. They provide a barrier between the elements for us, right? Our clothes, our coats, our jackets, our, all the things we wear, they provide barriers. In the Garden of Eden, there was no need for barriers. There was nothing to separate God and man. But when the knowledge of evil entered, we needed a barrier. And from the very first atonement that God provided, he shed the blood of innocent animals. How many of you know that the skins came from somewhere and that those animals weren't involved? You don't see him saying, you know what, we're going to make you a snakeskin jacket. That was, you, did anyone catch that? The snake was involved. Anyways, you don't see that. He's, he, made the, he made them garments of skin. Those animals that were sacrificed were not involved. It was the innocent blood shed to provide a heavy layer of separation, of atonement. But see, leather will hold up a lot better than fig leaves, right? Our idea is fig leaves. God's idea is like leather will outlast fig leaves by a long, long, long time. From the, from the garden to the cross, the blood was always that of animal sacrifices, And it was a picture or a shadow of the blood that would not only atone mankind, but the blood of Jesus that would take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist called it in John chapter 1, verse 29. He calls it. He says, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, stop and look. We read through behold because it's a real church word. It's in lots of translations. It's, it's, oh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes. We should never be able to read the word behold with an exclamation point and just read it behold. Behold, the Lamb of God. That's not how it's written, church. Behold. Everybody stop, sit up, take notice. It's like today, because we're so entertainment focused, that John the Baptist would have had to have fireworks when he said behold. It would have been behold. Oh, oh, everybody's, watch. There's fireworks. There's pyrotechnicians involved. Behold, the Lamb of God. Sit up and take notice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are so comfortable with this passage, with this revelation, because to us, I think a lot of times it's not a revelation. It's just a verse in the Bible. Well, behold, the Lamb of God who takes it. Then then he baptized him in the River Jordan, and then Jesus goes. And it's just this comfortable thing. This is crazy. This is the thing all humanity had been looking for. All humanity had been looking for. How many of you have ever stayed up most of election night? Probably most of you not for midterms. Can I get a hallelujah? But for some presidential elections, it's like, I'm going to sit up and wait. I'm going to see if this is good news, if this is bad news, and we're not going to get into that. But we sit up. We can sit up. We're waiting. The whole world, we're, we're given this idea. The whole world is waiting to see what happened. That's like, that's like a couple years culmination Maybe a four-year culmination. I'm not making light of elections. I'm just saying an election result versus this revelation, there's not even a comparison. Imagine you have a tiny little drop of water on the bottom of your cup, condensation, and compare that to the Pacific Ocean. This is the comparison between what we think is a big deal and John 129. Do you understand the magnitude of this, church? This is, this is the thing all humanity is waiting for because every lamb that was sacrificed up to the crucifixion of Jesus, every lamb, there was thousands, hundreds of thousands of animals' lives were given to provide a temporary 
barely making it cover. Just covered over it. It's just a blood. It's just a. It's just a covering. It's not going to last more than a year. The Day of Atonement comes once a year, 365 days. And in that 365 days, there's a lot of bloodshed from a whole bunch of other sacrifices under the old covenant. And this is the statement of statements. John says, "Behold, fireworks!" Exclamation point. Stop. Everybody stop what you're doing. That guy right there is the Lamb of God who doesn't cover over anymore. But he takes them away. Everybody was waiting for this. In fact, I dare say, so were Jesus to arrive right now, which I have in my head, I do think he's going to be morning Eastern Standard Time when he comes, just because that's going to be morning for me and whatever. If Jesus was to arrive on the scene right now, much of the church would still be sleeping. This is, I'm not bringing condemnation, not this church. I'm saying Christianity, a lot of us would, it's like, well, you know, because we've heard, well, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, and then you tell grandma and grandpa, Jesus is coming back, and then we buried them, and and their grandma and grandpa said Jesus is coming back, and they buried them, and you just keep going back. So we're just kind of comfortable. No one's really expecting Jesus to come back. And I say, don't anybody pick up condemnation. If you're listening online, don't pick up condemnation. We're not really anticipating Because, and I'm not opposed to saving for retirement, okay? But if we thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow, you know darn well you're not going to save any money tomorrow for retirement. This is like, what's the point? Jesus is going to be back. We don't live with that anticipation. Now, the first century church, they had it. They're like, I don't need any money. Jesus is going to be back by the end of the week. Or maybe next year. But time has gone on. And the thing with time is after 1,500 years, I was like, the lamb's coming someday. But I don't think anybody in Jesus' day was like, I think it's right now. The couple of people at his birth that called it. That's the lamb of God. That's the king of kings. Big deal. Biggest announcement ever. Bigger than any announcement ever made at any point in time in all of human history is behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. There's not not a Lamb of God. There's not lots of Lambs of God. The sacrificial Lamb of God who doesn't cover over anymore. He takes it away. Nothing had been able to do this. Moses was the biggest character in all of Jewish culture and custom. Biggest deal. He couldn't even touch it. It was just a covering over. He provided... He, the Lord spoke through him and gave him a whole bunch of lists of laws and things to do and sacrificial instructions and all it did. The very best Moses could do was just cover over, just get you another year. We'll just get you another year, another atonement, another covering over. So John says, John called it. He says, the blood now of this lamb is forever. He's not covering sin anymore. He's taking it away. Hallelujah. From the cross on, The blood of Jesus is what, that is the blood of the new covenant. It's been offered on our behalf. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 9.22 is what was referenced earlier. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I got ahead of myself with this day of atonement. Leviticus chapter 16. I don't know if we're going to read all of this on account of time, Jane. I was going to read all of Leviticus 16 because what what Leviticus 16 is a depiction of of the Day of Atonement. It's the instruction given through Moses to the children of Israel on the priestly requirements for the Day of Atonement. 
The day of covering over. And I went through and I started highlighting all the dues. He shall put on. He shall be girded. He shall be attired. He shall wash. He shall take from. He shall offer. He shall take to go. All of these instructions that were given in Leviticus chapter 16. It says, let's see. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come just at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark. Lest he die. I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. In other words, there's some stringent instructions about entering into this holy place. And as Jerry revealed the last couple of weeks, that holy place now is where? It's right in here. He came to dwell among us. And then he sent his spirit to dwell among us. Inside us, within us. The holy of holies went from a place, a symbol, to within us. The instructions that were given in Leviticus chapter 16 were stringent at the very best. Don't screw it up. There's so much goes in to him just going in to the Holy of Holies. But then we see a contradiction in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. If you can bring that up, Jane. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 reads, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the Holy of Holies. Again, we didn't read all of Leviticus chapter 16, But if you would read that, you would see there's not a tremendous amount of boldness in that chapter. There's a lot of, like, I would have a checklist, and then I'd have another checklist, and I'd have a couple people going over it, making sure I got everything just right to enter the Holy of Holies. Fear and trepidation at best, boldness, that's a stretch. But what do we see revealed in Hebrews chapter 10? We see all of Hebrews, revealing that Jesus came. He filled all that stuff up. He did the stringent list. He did everything required so that now Hebrews 10, 19 can be declared to us that now we can have boldness to enter in, to cross into that veil, to cross beyond the veil. Jesus spoke of his blood making away the night before his crucifixion in Luke chapter 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, I'm going to read through this. Everybody just hold on. I'm going to read fairly quick. It's the New King James. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God... Thank you, Jesus, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Everybody say, by grace. Thank you, Jesus. We have been saved and raised up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches of his grace In his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, everybody say by grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that, that grace, that faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we, we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once we were Gentiles in the flesh, we, are called un- we were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at the time you were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Back up to that uh, earlier in verse 13 there. Having no hope and without God in the world. There we are, Genesis 3. Having no hope without God in the world. That's where we were. There was no hope of crossing into the veil. There was no cool of the day. When Jesus found us, there was no hope of the cool of the day. There was no hope of fellowship. There was no, not even a prayer of making it onto the other side of the veil through Leviticus 16, all of the stringent requirements, and actually fellowshipping or communing in the holy place with the Most High God. It wasn't there. We had no hope, and we were without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you see, and this, I reference this all the time. A, lot of time, a lot of Christians think that Christ is Jesus' last name. It's like Jesus Christ. It was like Joseph Christ and Mary. It's not. It's his title. The Messiah. The Christ. What John said. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's only one. There's no other Messiah. There never will be another Messiah. There is one hope. There is one hope. One Messiah. One Christ. Jesus. The Christ. In him, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. To be brought near. The, so, I'm going to just stick a pin in my notes. We may get back to them, we may not. The last several months of our life, our family's life, has been difficult. This community, we've had, it's been a difficult season. Um, death seems to be kind of everywhere. Separation seems to be everywhere. Relationships failing seems to be everywhere. But what I've seen through this is the magnitude of the gospel. And you say, wow, you just saw that. Huh. You should have paid attention 10 years ago. I probably should have. But sometimes life has a way of shining lights in a different angle on things. It's like you can have a spotlight on something, but when you take a floodlight around beside it, you see it all together differently. And life and its circumstances have a, have a knack for, shining, for redirecting that light. I was, uh, I was working on a machine, this has been several weeks ago, and, and I have this habit. I have a light that goes on my head, and I have a magnetic light, work light, that sticks on things and everything, and yet 95% of the work that I do in the dark, I have a pen light stuck in my mouth. Because I don't have the time, I'm not gonna take the time to go back to the truck to get the light, the headlight, et cetera, et cetera, so I just stick a light in my mouth. I was working on something, and I, I couldn't see what I was looking for. I was struggling to see. I was trying to get, I was holding stuff and I was looking and I was trying to hold the light with my mouth in a certain way and the light fell out of my mouth. It's just a, I don't know, cheap pen light of some kind. Well, the way the light fell, it revealed exactly what I was looking for. Now, it took me a while to get the light back from where it was at, but it revealed exactly what I was looking for. And I thought about that principle with this life has a way of knocking the light around. And I'm not in any way saying, well, it was God's will for all these terrible things to happen. We know better than that. We know, we see in Scripture the character of our Father. 
But when life happens and knocks the light out of your mouth and you can't see, sometimes it reveals things. And in the last three or four months, what has been revealed in my heart is the magnitude of this gospel. And as Jerry preached the last couple weeks about spending time on the other side of the veil, how many of you know that Jerry is a very exquisite teacher? He does a great job. He's very thorough. And there is points. And I'm always intimidated to follow him because he's always got things to put on the screen. I don't have any of those things. I'm learning. I'm working on some of that stuff. But it's intimidating to follow that. And sometimes I can lose the focus of what he's teaching because of the, it's like, I just wish I could do, and it's probably not for any of you guys to think that way, but I just like, oh, I wish I could do it. And then I, I drift away from the point, the magnitude the last couple of weeks that was revealed to me on the ability that we have to go on the other side of the veil. This isn't a theory. That's not a concept. It's not an intellectual principle. This is the biggest deal in all of humanity. I could offer each of you all the money in the world, and it is nothing in light of being able to spend time on the other side of the veil with the Father, with the author of life itself. The fact that God knows your name is beyond amazing. He knows your name. He knows your middle name. He knows your favorite color. He knows your thoughts. And he cares. And you have the opportunity to believe in Jesus and have that veil rent from top to bottom to where you can, just as the author of Hebrews writes, come boldly. You can run in and as Jerry talked last week, sit down on your father's lap. I hold my kids all the time. It's the greatest part of being a dad is holding my kids. Well, putting them to bed and holding them, it's like a, I don't know if I'd turn my hand for the difference there. I love holding my kids. And there's nothing like when I get home from work and my kids run and I can scoop them up and hold them. That picture of the opportunity that this gospel presents for us. And again, I don't know how to, I was wrestling this week with how to communicate this in a way that isn't a theory taught by a teacher behind a podium to people sitting in chairs. Because this isn't it. This is not sitting with the Father. This is good, and I want to reveal this. My, my goal this morning is to show and reveal, point that light on the magnitude of the gospel. And I shared this with Kirk this week. This is just a, this is a metaphor. You know, metaphors all run out at some point. So if you play this all the way out, it does run out. But I, what I shared with him, this is principle of this gospel. If I was to borrow his pickup, I say, hey, I need your pickup. I got to go haul something. He'd say, okay. But he'd probably tell me which one I could use because they all have problems. And well, how far are you going? Take this one. So he said, he's like, yeah, you can, take, you can take my pickup. And so I take his pickup and I drive to Toledo and I haul something back. And then I'm going to return his truck to him. And you know, 20 years ago, we would have filled the thing with fuel. But in 2022, it's like, well, I probably used about a third of a tank, so you know what? I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give him a half a tank. So I fill his truck half full of diesel fuel. You see, it was diesel fuel. That's why I didn't fill it all the way up. It's way more money. So I fill it half full of fuel, and I return his truck to him. In the back of his truck, there's four duffel bags full of money. Carry him into his house. Say, it's a gift from 
me to you. It's just a gift. You didn't earn it. It's a billion dollars. One billion dollars cash. I didn't steal it. I didn't borrow your truck to go a bank heist or anything like that. This is mine, and I'm giving it to you. It's a gift. Also, I filled your truck half full of fuel. So a week goes by in Kirk's life, and he's wandering through life and thinking, man, I don't have a care in the world. I need to show some level of gratitude for this gift, this amazing gift. And so he sits down with a pen and a paper, and he begins to draft a letter. Dear Isaac and Melinda, thank you so much for that fuel. It was such a blessing. I was able to go to work for half of the week without buying fuel. I was able to go for coffee with my dad. They went twice because the coffee shop's a half a mile or a mile from his house. So that fuel was such a blessing. I was able to come to church with that fuel. If there's ever a way that I could generate more of that fuel from you, that would be such a blessing. Also, thanks for the billion. Now, that sounds preposterous, right? Were that to be an actual story, and I read that note to you, you would say, how ungrateful. Just thanks for the billion? His life's changed. His family's life's changed. Everybody that knows him's life has changed. He just got a billion dollars. We know that in the context of that story, the fuel shouldn't factor in. It's not even a thing. Yes, I gave him fuel. Yep. He should forget about it. When he's writing the letter, it should be all about the billion and all the things that have been done as a result, direct result of the billion. Fuel, I could have totaled his pickup and he wouldn't have cared if I got the four bags of cash. So as a believer, you say, okay, where are we going with this? I think let's bring this home. The billion is representative of our right standing with the Father. Everything else in this life is the half a tank of fuel. Everything else. I'm for us walking in victory. I'm absolutely for provision. I'm for believing God for the promises that are in his word. But church, the gospel, the fact that you and I can believe on someone's name, the name of Jesus, and be made right with the author of life itself, the creator of the universe who spoke and the universe is. Who, as we looked at a few weeks or months, many, maybe a couple years ago, I don't know, it's a while ago, God spoke, let there be light, there was light. Light listened. Light showed up when he said and it left when he said. And four days later, he creates a source. He said, let there be light on day one. And on day four, he's like, uh, moon and, let's do a sun and a moon and stars. Well, the, the light's been coming every day. Light listens. This is, you're right with that God. You are right, church, with that God. This life becomes so transient and so irrelevant. This here, this is, when we focus and fixate on the fact that you are right with the most high God, you are created in his image, and through Jesus you can draw nigh, through the blood of Christ, through the veil, and spend time on the other side and see yourself as he sees you. This is huge. And again, I came this morning and I'm like, Lord, how do I paint this picture without it being a theory? I don't know if I've done that this morning. 
Through the blood of Jesus, we now have access to restored relationship with the Creator. The cool of the day is ours if we so choose. I say that again the cool of the day, it's ours if we so choose. The cool of the day, walking with God, that's what God desired. It's what man enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. And you know what? It's what every human ever born still longs for. It's inside of you. We were created for it. That's the purpose we were created for. I'm not trying to just pick on Kirk, but he always gives me a hard time because if you look in his, he does mobile repair stuff, but way more technical stuff than I do. And so he's got thousands and thousands of tools, seems like. And he's not a huge fan of the any tool can be the right tool thing. He's like, no, you shouldn't use a ratchet for a hammer. You should use a hammer for a hammer. And some of, I do sometimes, I, I have to have any tool to be the right tool because I don't have all the right tools. But when you use a tool for what it was designed for versus whatever you happen to be encountering that day, it's amazing. We were created for time on the other side of the veil. You know, there's thousands of synthetic cool of the day experiences that people have created. But the true, the one and only cool of the day walking with God has been restored to us only by the blood of Jesus Christ. You will never achieve that in your soul peace until you're on the other until you spend time on the other side of the veil. That perfect fit. There are I have been to leadership conferences, I've been to job coaching things, I've met with people all over our area and even all over the country to conferences and everyone wants to tell you that one thing. You know what you need? You need the perfect job. You'll be so happy if you have the perfect job. You need a better cigarette. If you have the right cigarette, you'll be happy. You need, you know what you need? Relationship advice. You need to fix your relationships. And here is a list of 14 things. Try these. Start with one. If that doesn't work, start with 14 and work your way back. Fix your relationships. You know what you need? More money. You should find clothes that fit just like X or Y. And if you wait six months, it'll be Y or X. That's how you need a better car with Bluetooth, hands free. I drove a car a couple of weeks ago that will try to correct you in the lane. I was so irritated, I wore that thing out. I was just, we were just swerved back and forth. It's like, I will drive the car. I don't know if you can shut it off. That's what you need to be happy. You would be so much more fulfilled if you had new hardwood flooring or perhaps new old-looking fixtures in your lights. Not new, new old, all of these things. There's, and now you might think, well, none of those are actually, they are all gunning for that cool of the day in your life. They're all selling it as the cool of the day. Everyone, you need this and then you'll feel that. None of it can deliver. The only thing that delivers the cool of the day is the other side of the veil. The only way you get there is the blood of Jesus. It's the greatest thing anybody will ever tell you. Greater than any health tip, greater than any relationship tip, greater than any new house, old house, does not matter. There's no vacation on earth that compares to spending time on the other side of the veil, knowing in your, in your gut, knowing that you're right with the Father. 
Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You gain access. That veil is rent and you can walk right in, as Hebrews 10 says, boldly to the throne room of grace. Has anybody in here ever experienced a broken relationship being restored? Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. It might be broken like, well, I've never been like, I'm not talking about just like, well, I was divorced and we got back together. I'm talking about your friendship with somebody is kind of broken, tweaked a little bit. Maybe you ran your mouth a little bit. I've done that. I know you're surprised. Maybe, maybe they ran their mouth a little bit. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a girlfriend or boyfriend. And it's broken. It's tweaked. Something's wrong. Been maybe not in communication. And then that comes back together. There is nothing in this life you will feel quite like that in the natural life. It's like, man, I don't have a dime to my name, but I just fixed a relationship. It's the best thing that we can feel in this life. That's what happened with Jesus, except it's forever. The magnitude of this. There is a peace that is inside of you that is only felt by relationship being restored. This born-again experience, the way we access this is to get born again, to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But you know what? And I'm gonna wrap this up. We're uh, In a minute, we'll wrap this up. This born-again experience is not about trying to become something. If you're gonna write things down, these are things to write down. It is not about trying to become something. It's not about trying to stop doing bad things. <gasps> I think it is. It's not. It's not about trying to do good things. <gasps> I know that's not true. Okay, everyone, is everyone, Tom, you should sit down. Everyone should be seated for this. It isn't even about trying to get to heaven or trying to avoid hell. You say, what? The born-again opportunity is entirely about restored relationship with the Father. That's what it's about. Now, our lives changing, our lifestyles shifting, making better choices, even eternal destiny itself, they're all byproducts of a restored relationship. This life is not an equation. It's a relationship. I dare say all of our lives, this carnal, natural existence, vocations, family stuff, whatever, will improve. If, this is a life hack. This isn't the message. This is a life hack. They will improve if you start looking at them through the lens of relationship. So one of our elders, Trey Smith, if you would stand up so everybody knows who you are. This is one of our elders. He helps guide this ship. He is, what do you do for a living, Trey? He sells things. You can be seated, just so you know who he is. This dude has been selling things his entire life. We have figured out, and over the course of our friendship, he will not be a mechanic ever. Um, he's not going to be an engineer, but the man could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman wearing white gloves. And do you know how he does it? Relationship. It's not pushy phone calls. It's, hey, which this drives some of us nuts. It's, hey, you want to go golf today? Sure, I'll go golf. Comes home, sold some forklifts. I've tried that, and I got lost on the golf course. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've never sold a forklift. But it is all about relate. You want to sell something? Don't worry about selling it. Worry about relationships. 
Focus on relationships. You want to get a, figure out the best career path? Focus on relationships. It is all, that's a life hack. It's not the message. It's all about relationships. This life, this whole life, this physical one and the spiritual one is all about relationships. So much of Christianity has become about, bypro- about the byproducts. We just talked about, what are the byproducts? Your, the byproducts, your life's going to change. You'll eventually quit doing a bunch of bad things. If you restore, you believe in Jesus, and you experience this restored relationship, bad stuff's going to start falling off. It might take a while, and then all your other Christian friends are like, I don't think they're born again because they're still screwing up. That's not the case. You get born again, stuff starts to change. It's over the course of time, things start to change. The Holy Spirit quickens things in your heart. He's like, don't do that, that's gonna kill you. Oh, I won't do that anymore then. But I still want to, so you kind of still do it sometimes. And then little by little, you stop. It's not about trying to do good things. That's a byproduct. But little by little, you spend time on the other side of the veil, you're gonna start seeing people that are hurting. You're gonna say, man, I want them to have what I have. Man, I want them, I'm gonna do something nice for them. And then, little by little, you're going to find yourself in relationship with those people. And then you can explain to them what life on the other side of the veil is like. You know, it's not about getting to heaven. But you believe in Jesus, walk through that veil. When you cross from this life into the next, you'll pass from death to life. You'll never taste it. You'll experience oneness with the Father immediately. That's not the point. The point is to experience it right now. To cross into that veil, to believe in Jesus, to experience that restored relationship. So much of Christianity has been peddling the byproducts as the point. And I'm not trying to get down on Christianity. I'm just, I've, I see that. So much of Christianity has become about these things, trying to prove something to ourselves or to our critics of whom we are usually the worst instead of simply enjoying relationship. Anybody ever experienced that? Where you're, ah, I need to prove it to myself that I'm born again and so X or Y. Maybe ah, if I can stop doing the bad thing, then I'll convince everyone around me that I'm born again and maybe I'll believe that I'm born again. Instead of resting and believing in Jesus, spending time in fellowship with him as as the broken vessel that we may be in this natural life. Now we know spiritually it's over and done. You're fixed, you're finished, it's over. You're a new creation in Christ. But this life is still broken. You know, the last point I want to make this morning, I want to tell you a little story. Everybody have time? It's a short story, so we're still going to make it to lunch. Uh, My grandpa was 94 years old. My grandpa McLaren passed away in 2019. Some of you knew him. We spent some time praying for him. He was in an accident a few years before he passed away. We spent quite a bit of time here praying for him. He recovered, and um, I got a voicemail I still have from him the day before he died. And it was about, <laughs> interesting, I, I make a tiny little bit of hay, and I had, this was, he passed away in the late winter, early spring, and he was concerned that I hadn't sold all of my hay yet. It's like, well, this is like, and so he had called, and I didn't answer it was, uh, he called on a Saturday. Well, I guess I, we don't know exactly when he passed away, but they, it was Monday mornings when they found him. And um, he called on Saturday evening. And I was busy, so I didn't answer. And he left me a voicemail. And uh, on Monday, when I found out he was gone, I was devastated that I didn't answer. I was like, oh, 
that last, I wish I would have talked to him. Now I'm so glad I didn't because I still get to go back and listen to that voicemail. I was thinking of him this morning, and this just was added this morning. But I realized that spending time with someone is not automatic. The last couple of years of my grandpa's life, we spent some time together. We did, uh, my folks were overseas for a while, and, and I would take him out for supper, I don't know, a couple times a month. Some of it was once a month. And it was, he always wanted to go to one of the greatest restaurants that he knew, and that was Wendy's because they had senior chili, and he didn't want to break my bank. So we'd go to get senior chili, and we'd spend time together. And it always, leading up to that time, I was almost, this is going to shock you, I was almost always late to pick him up. I, I've become a lot more punctual, but then I was very, very late. And so I was almost always late to pick him up. And those days that I'd pick him up, it was like, I don't know if I really have time to do this. I should be doing X. And you know, my grandpa had been alive and involved in my life my whole life. It was just a static, he was a static presence, always there. Need something? Call grandpa. He was always there. Well, as he got older, he started referencing when he was going to, he's like, I'm not going to be here forever, you need to know this. And I'm not going to be here forever, you need to know this. But really, that didn't sink into here. It was just like, yeah, 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 but you know, you've always been here. And the week after he passed, till now, I have spent so much time looking back at the time that we did spend, grateful for it, and looking out at the times that I did call him and say, hey, it's not going to work tonight. I've got to work. Made like $37 that one night. I spent it the next day and it was over or I could have had the night and remembered it with my grandpa forever. And I think about that with what Jerry shared the last couple of weeks. What I was challenged, the Holy Spirit challenged me, not in a, like these are your three challenges, go home and try and fix your life challenge, but the Holy Spirit twisted my insides last week. He said, Spending time on the other side of the veil is not automatic. It doesn't just automatically happen. We get born again and he just drags you to the other side of the veil. It's not how it works. Relationship stuff. Worship team, if you guys want to come forward. Relationship stuff. They're not automatic. Spending time with the Father in relationship on the other side of the veil is not automatic. But you know what? That invitation is open right now. You say, oh boy, I don't know if I can hack it. You don't have to hack it. You don't have to try super hard. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The veil is rent. Just enter in. You spend time in the word of God, don't get religious about it. Religion always begats more religion. And you know, I've learned something about religion in my time in ministry and in my time walking with Jesus, that religion and relationship are mutually exclusive. If we approach the Father with religious mindset, we will never actually, I'm not saying you're not born again, don't get that, but you'll never enjoy relationship. If we try to encounter and engage with God on a merit-based level, you'll never enjoy relationship. If my kids always want to know, make sure, I got to make sure dad's happy with me before I run to him. Well, our, that run from them to me becomes a slow, timid walk of, uh, 
I did spill the Cheerios all over the floor, and, and then Rip is like, well, I emptied all the cupboards all over the floor. Are you sure? And before, it's like, well, you know what? You did all that stuff. Like, they start thinking that. If our relationship with the Father, and all I really want is for them to run to me. Just run to me. I don't care what the house looks like. I don't care what you did wrong. I want to hold you. And while I'm holding them, I can tell them, you know what? Let's not empty the kitchen cabinets all over the floor. I can tell them that because I'm holding them and I love them and they know that I love them. It's an invitation into relationship. That invitation is open. Relationship and religion, they're mutually exclusive. If you want to approach the Father on your own merits, you never will. You never will. Just like the rich young ruler, there's one thing you lack. There's still one thing you lack. If you go to the Word and you look for you in the Old Testament, you go, to, you go to the book of Leviticus and you look for you. You go to the book of Numbers and you look for you. You go to the old covenant understanding of God and you look for you. There's always one thing you lack. For some of us, there's like 611 things we lack. That one thing we lack, if we're approaching the Father based on us, will keep us from him. His arms are open. Jesus still did everything that Jesus did, whether we're enjoying it or not. There are thousands of Christians that have never crossed in and enjoyed time on the other side of the veil because they think it's still about them. I'm not sure. You know, I got I to gotta clean a few more things up. It's like, you know, the metaphor of inviting the Lord into the house of your life. Like you just stay here in the entryway. I got to clean the kitchen. I got to clean the bedroom. I got to clean up the living room. Shut the TV off. The Lord's here. We get these mindsets like, well, we got to keep him out here. We got to keep him here on Sunday morning. This is our entryway. We got to keep the Lord here because, well, the rest of my life's a yard sale. And not the good kind where you find good deals on old things. The kind with rotten cardboard boxes and junk. The rest of my life's kind of a junky yard sale, so I better keep the Lord here. There's nowhere in your life Lord Jesus is afraid of going with you. There's nowhere in your life that he's like, ah, I didn't know about that. He knows about everything and he loves you anyways. There's nothing you can do about it. Thank you, Jesus. If you would stand with me this morning, I'd like to dismiss with a declaration and then we're going to sing a song. We stand this morning as a thankful people, thankful for the blood of Jesus which was shed on our behalf to make us partakers in this new covenant, that we may have confidence to enter that holy place, to spend time on Eden's side of the veil, walking in the cool of the day with our God. We know this natural world's not fixed yet, so difficulties, hardship, and even loss are part of this earthly existence, but these things do not define us. We choose to be defined by our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Through this relationship, we know that we are blessed and highly favored, blessed in the city and in the country. Joyfully, we rise up and lie down because we enjoy restored relationship with the Father. We can walk confidently into this next week, amen, knowing that nothing this earth or even hell itself can throw at us is able to dislodge us from our Father's hand. We declare with Proverbs 28 that though the wicked may flee 
run scared when no man pursues the righteous. Those of us that know we are right with God, we walk bold as a lion. Thank you, Jesus. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have to sing, to glorify your name. Thank you, Jesus, for relationship, for rending that veil from the top to the bottom that we can enter in, sending your spirit to dwell within us, coming to be in our midst. We're gathered here together in your name, Lord, and you are here in our midst. You're in our hugs and our handshakes the coffee we drink and the words that we sing. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. We just pray a blessing over each person that's here and those that are not able to join us have joined us online. Lord, I just pray a blessing over each person within the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing.